You're listening to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. Today, we'll be talking to Erin Metz, a teacher and interventionist in Blount County, Tennessee. She will tell us about her district's Tier 1 ELA instructional block time. She works with students and teachers to support reading groups, modeling how to use small group time to reinforce foundational skills, and build vocabulary, knowledge, and more. Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy literacy podcast. We can't wait for today's episode because we are talking with a teacher and an instructional coach. She's super awesome. She has high quality materials in tier one, and we are going to take a deep dive into the instructional block. We're going to focus on the use of small group time to meet students' needs, but really talk about the instructional block as a whole as well. So Melissa, I know this is like one of our favorite things to do, talk to a teacher and talk about instructional time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So today we have Erin Metz, and she's a learning loss interventionist in Blunt County, Tennessee. And she'll tell us about how she models teaching small group reading for K-2 students and teachers. And that these groups, they reinforce foundational skills, vocabulary, and build knowledge for reading comprehension. So a little bit of everything. So she'll tell us how that happens. So we're so glad you're here today, Erin. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And can you tell our audience just a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you are? Yes. So um, I started teaching third grade, actually, which um, made me realize I didn't learn foundationally, if you will. I would tell my kids, hey, just sound it out. I didn't know how to sound it out. And so um, when I moved counties, I started teaching first grade and I started to learn all of the ways to quote, sound things out. I started learning the spelling rules and things like that. Um, And so then I applied for this job through the COVID funds that most schools were given. And um, it is a way for us as learning loss interventionists to go into classrooms and help students who may have fallen behind or not yet learned the things that they need in order to build that solid foundation in um, reading. And so my role now is to kind of give those students a little extra help that they need to fill in the gaps that maybe they lost through um, the time off with COVID. And do you have any data, even if it's like anecdotal data about like how are more students behind? I know we hear that, but just wondering like from an actual (laughs) district. So so we actually um, looked at that. And when we started, we really focused on the upcoming second graders, which now this year are third graders, because we've Mm -hmm. been in this role for um, a year now. And we determined those kids were the most in need. And in our county where we live, they did, um, we had a quarter of their kindergarten year cut short, just like most of the United States did. And then we were able to go back in person that following year, which would have put them in first grade. Well, our county did a lot of the 
contact tracing, which was great. But as a first grade student, if you sat anywhere near, because there's no way we could separate six feet, just, it just yeah. Yeah. physically. <laughs> right. Um, and also they don't wear masks very well. Um, but we, we started to notice that some of those first graders, they were being contact traced multiple times during the year. And if you add up the two weeks at a time, they were almost missing another quarter, maybe not all in a row, but they're missing a lot of school. And so even trying to do things virtually or have parents help, I'm a parent, I work to come home and try to work with a kid after you've been at work all day. It's really difficult. So we really focused last year on the second graders because we felt they would have the largest gap. And so going back to your question, we saw at the beginning of the year and to the end of the year, they made gains, but in comparison to second graders beforehand, the gaps that we're showing in the foundational skills like um, phonemic awareness, phonics, and high-frequency words, those gaps were much larger. So the, the, the scores were not as high as they had been in years past. And so that's kind of where we determined we need to make sure that now our focus is K2 to ensure that even though they didn't miss all of the school like the second graders have. We wanted to give them the opportunity because they have lived in a masked world or a a world where maybe not a lot of people speak to them or read to them. So we wanted to make sure that we really hit the things that we saw were a need last year for these kids coming up. So that way, maybe it won't continue to be a need. I love the way you've taken that and just grown it a little bit bigger to a little wider reach this year. Yes. That's great. Yes. So we started with second grade and now we're kind of, we've dabbled in first grade last year and now we're kind of working our way to kindergarten. And it's, it, it's very, the, the difference between the grade levels and you don't think there's that much, there is, I mean, just the way that the kindergartners take to learning is amazing. And so it's, it's really great. Is this like, you're working directly with students, but are you also modeling for teachers? Am I understanding your role correctly? And I know that you shared that in the pre-call, but I want to make sure that you verbalize that for everyone listening. Yes. So last year we kind of um, determined ourselves as lead learners. We, as our LLIs, there are four of us. And as a team, we are in different schools. So I service two schools and the other three of us, um, they also service two schools each. So we get to serve eight schools with an abundance of students um, in our county. What we have figured out is last year was a learning um, curve for us. We, this was kind of, when I say a made up job, like we weren't really (laughs) sure. We just kind of went through and we said, okay, well, this is what we think we want to do. And so we were kind of flying the airplane with I think a lot of people can relate to that with the COVID funding. Yes. 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 (laughs) So what we did was um, we considered ourselves lead learners and we practiced things and we would get together and we would collaborate. Okay. Did this work? Okay. This was not a good thing. I couldn't get this finished or I've spent too much time on this. And so we had to do a lot of 
work in order to this year bring it to the teachers. So last year was more student focused and trying to figure out what was going to be the best to help these kids uh, fill in those gaps. Now we've brought it to the teachers. So we are actually going into all of the schools, not just the schools we service, but all of the schools. And we are, we call it our roadshow and it's amazing. We take all of our stuff, we take our whole team and we actually go into teachers' classrooms. We sit down at their horseshoe table with their groups of kids and we model for them as they sit and watch what it looks like with their students. So I've um, been in classrooms where, you know, you have kids that um, have a learning disability. You have kids that have ADHD and are not on meds. You have kids that are um, just struggling in life itself. You know, they have other things going on. So they get to see not just a model classroom, but with their own students, how we figured out what would be the best thing for our county to, you know, uh, fill in gaps and, and raise the bar for those students. That's so cool. I think so many teachers right now are like, oh, I wish I lived in Blunt County, Tennessee yeah. for this, for Aaron <laughs> to come into my classroom. Like I would have loved that as a teacher yeah. to have you come in and for me to be able to live watch. I mean, oh my gosh, I would have been taking so many notes and recording you. <laughs> but no, and it's it is really, so valuable. It yeah. is. You, you show like videos and things like that and people are like, yeah, but yeah. Exactly. <laughs> those, aren't my, those aren't my students. Yes. And, and yeah. what I found is um, actually going into all these different classrooms, the reason I feel like I'm a good teacher and I'm not tooting my own horn, I feel like everybody would say this. If you can go and see other people do things, you take little mannerisms and little um, examples of how they have classroom management or how they did this particular type of or this part of the lesson. And it's like, oh, I never thought of that because like we kind of spoke earlier, you're in the four walls of your classroom and you're kind of like, this is all I know. Mm-hmm. I now get to see other people and I'm like, oh, I'm going to take that with me on my roadshow. Oh, I'm going to take that with me on my roadshow, which then other people can kind of see that mm-hmm. in their own classroom and, oh, that kind of did work. Or I can look and say, oh, that one didn't work with these kids. I need to change it for the next group, you know? So, but it's just, I just have a lot of tools in my toolbox because I've gotten to see a lot of teachers, which I think is very beneficial. You are so lucky. That's so amazing. Um, I'd like to kind of pivot us right now because we have so much background information, which is really helpful to conceptualize what you do and what you're going to talk about in a moment. But I think it might be helpful to dive into the instructional block. So we mentioned that you have high quality materials. We know that you have a pretty, I think, a pretty decent instructional block time. We spoke earlier. We haven't shared that yet on the podcast, but (laughs) I'm going to ask you to share now a deep dive into your instructional block, which includes the materials that you have and that you're working with, as well as the timeframes and then the timeframe within the timeframe. So how much time for small group, how much time for whole group? What does it all look like? Like, Give us all the details that every teacher listening right now wants to know. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So in Blount County, we have a 100 K2, have a 150 minute time block for ELA. Um, we have devoted 30 minutes to foundations, which is our phonics through Great Minds. We have 
um, a 90 minute block for wit and wisdom, which is through great minds as well. And then we have a 30 minute block of small reading group time. So that together is our 150 minute block. And then every school has a 30 minute time block for tier two instruction, which is not included in that. And so where I came from, we had also had that same kind of thing to ensure that the intervention was also met. So I think one thing that I feel that Blunt County is very lucky in is we have this huge amount of time to ensure that we can cover whole group instruction, small group instruction, and then we also have a devoted time for um, the students who need a little bit of extra help. All of those are carved into the day and which I think is amazing. Like it, you had, you know that you have 150 minutes. You've got to find when you can get these things in. Um, yeah. Within that, the um, 30 minutes is the foundations. The 90 minutes is the wit and wisdom. And then we also have that 30 minutes of small reading group, which is where we use the geodes. And um, we really delved into the geodes last year. And mm-hmm. as we started to learn what the kids needed, we also determined when we are using the geodes, we needed to build their foundational skills that they had lost. Or I don't want to say lost. Let's rephrase that as (laughs) they hadn't built up yet. They, it still was, it was there, but it wasn't as solid as it could have been. And so what we did was we took the geodes and we created based on um, Beverly Tyner's lesson plans, ways to incorporate what the foundation skills were for that lesson, as well as um, phonemic awareness through um, Hegarty that is also used in our whole group instruction, as well as um, using the geodes to work on just reading Uh, material that is on grade level, because what we also found is some of these students for the longest time, and I was very guilty of it as well. I was trying to level the reading of what my kids were reading and not realizing I'm creating an even bigger gap Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to make sure that my low kids can read, but it might be on a kindergarten level. Well, we're in first grade. They need to be able to read first grade things because then when they go to second grade, they've not even touched a first grade material because I'm too busy trying to get them to read kindergarten so they can move up. So um, we tried to incorporate the geodes with all of those things to ensure that they had the opportunity to read that on grade level text. Yeah. So Erin, just to clarify, they're using the same text throughout, right? Yes. In Wisdom, they all have the same text. In Geo, yes. they all have the same text. But in a small group, you're doing things Different. differently yes. with the and same text. Yes. Be, um, so what we as a team figured out was that even our low kids needed that. So we work with them for half of the time. So we'll use the whole 30 minutes. And I know that some people may say, well, I can't do that. We are really trying to use our assistants and our um, instructional ins- uh, instructional assistants to help 
ensure that all students' needs are being met. So um, we created three leveled groups, if you will. One is the accurate group, meaning these are our low kids and we need to work on just reading the words correctly. So we build in the phonics of whatever it is we're working on in that geode. Um, From foundations, we work on high frequency words that are in the geode. And then we bring in the geode and I, as the teacher, will point to each word while they point to each word. I'm going to read it first so they can hear what the words are And then they're going to repeat it. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to look at the pages. I'm going to say, okay, guys, I see on this page, the little red squirrel is getting ready for winter. And I know he's getting ready for winter because he's doing these. I'm front loading every information that they need. So all they have to work on is reading the words correctly because that's their struggle. And I don't want to try to add... Yes, Aaron. That's what, so. That's what I'm like. I just wanted to like say before you got too far because I love everything that you're explaining. You used the word leveled earlier. I'm thinking maybe we like if I could reframe it for those listening. It, I it like because I think leveled is such a loaded word in the literacy yeah. world. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Go. 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 Yeah. Um, I was going to suggest that those listening kind of frame that as a focus. Like there's three groups with a different focus because they're all using the same text. They're all getting the same knowledge. They're all have access to that grade level experience of these are the foundational skills that are, that are taught in my grade level. Now I'm practicing those. Um, I just wanted like struck me and I didn't want you to get too far away from it before I just like jumped in and and said that I think I love, love what you're describing. And, (laughs) And actually, um, hearing you say that, we call them hurdles. So we talk about how that when you're running hurdles, and when we trained the teachers last spring, we said, we want to give you, we want you to whistle. We want to, we want you to kind of see what it is we're going to do next year. We talked about how, if you're just learning to run hurdles and you trip over that first hurdle, how are you supposed to get back up and do the second and the third and the fourth? You don't because you're already like beat down and you've skinned your knees and whatever. So what we talked about is this is one hurdle. We have to teach you to get over the one hurdle first. And then once you master that hurdle, now we can teach you to get over the first hurdle and the second hurdle. And then once we teach you how to do the second hurdle, we can get to the third, which our first hurdle is accuracy. Can you read the words correctly? Because once you can read the words correctly, then we can move to the second hurdle which is going to be our second group, which are going to work on automaticity. They can read the words correctly. We still want to go over the um, phonics and the high frequency words that they're going to see. And I want to front load them with the information because I'm not going to ask them questions about it. But in my second group, we already know the words. I want you not to read like a robot. I want you to read like a teacher. So we talk about phrasing. And so they know that their goal is to read with phrasing. And we call it scooping because in foundations, they scoop and they have to follow with their finger with scoops. And then they practice reading in that way. So then once they've met those two hurdles, great. You now know all the words. You can read like a teacher 
I'm now going to give you the comprehension questions, which is your third hurdle. I'm going to see if you can understand what it is you're reading um, fluently. I want to see that you can um, answer questions and really dive into the first grade text or the second grade text to ensure that you're understanding what you're reading and you can do what good readers do. We make inferences, we draw conclusions, we do those things, but they don't realize that's what they're doing because they're just reading words. So Sure. One thing I think is so important also to name here is that you can do all of this with geodes. Geodes are readable, decodable texts that build knowledge connected to the topics in wit and wisdom. Just like a quick little snapshot for those listening. You can do that in geodes because geodes have rich content that build knowledge. It, I, I think it's more challenging, not that it's not possible. It's more challenging to do that in a typical decodable text um, to the, the extent that you're describing, Erin. Now, I know that we did have a guest on earlier who did speak to the fact that like you can do this with decodable text. Um, but I believe, Melissa, correct me if I'm wrong, Elise mentioned it as um, being easier to do with, uh, from her perspective, with fictional decodable texts. Do you remember that? Yeah. To, to well, yes. <laughs> to be able to like ask comprehension questions. I think that I just want to make sure like we have this real. She like, was saying it's easier to create stories that make sense yes. with decod- in decodable texts because it's just harder in nonfiction to do that because there's the vocabulary is so tough. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the difference though with geodes is that they're connected to the knowledge that students are building on in their core instruction. So they have that vocabulary so they can use that vocabulary in the geodes texts. It's just, it's, it's like a dance, right? It's, (laughs) it's a beautiful knowledge dance is kind of how I think of it. Um, and just making sure that we stamp that, like, I don't want everybody to try be reading like a decodable in their small group and then like trying to ask comprehension questions. And they're like, Melissa and Lori, it's just not working. The difference is that you have a rich text to do this with. Yes. And (laughs) I will say that most of the students, when we are reading these will make connections to either a prior geode or a, um, a text that they've read in class. And they will, oh, like when Sal went to the, and, and they say these things. And I'm like, yeah. And sometimes like it, it's a, it, it's a connection that I'm like, wow, I didn't even think of that. And I'm that. an adult, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's the way that they're able to connect those things. And, um, talking about the rich vocabulary within this, we always try to pull out some, um, vocabulary that we feel as well as the geode manual says are going to be important. Um, and so with that last hurdle group, the comprehension group, Sometimes what we'll do is I'll pull out um, a word and I'll say, okay, this is the word, blah, blah. Does anybody know what this means? And they'll kind of look at me and I'll say, all right, so your job today is as we read, I want you to try to figure this word out because I know that they're going to come across words 
in texts that they read later on that they're going to have to use the context clues or what they prior knowledge or Mm -hmm. things that they can relate to in order to figure this out. And they have really taken that challenge and run with it. Now, my other two groups, my, my accurate group, my first hurdle group, I look at them and I will give them everything. And I'll say, let's find this word after we've read it. Yes, remember the word spile means a tool that these people will put into a maple tree in order to have the sap come out. So it's like a spout. And I'll say, find the spout on the page so they can have a visual of it and things like that. So then we now know, oh, spile is another word for spout. Now, my third hurdle kids, my comprehension kids, I'll look and I'll say, I need you to figure out what spile is. And sometimes they're like, I don't know. Okay, well, this is a great time for us to try to work together to figure it out. So we'll talk about, well, we see the word uh, tool at the beginning. Great. Oh, I see a picture of this thing in the tree. Great. So let's put those things together and see if that word spile might mean one of those things. So they're it, it's it's helping them feel confident in understanding vocabulary because I'm not always going to be there. Right. Somebody's not always going to be there to tell them that, but it's giving them that experience with this rich text that is decodable in some ways. I mean, I say some ways because there are some words in there that are difficult if they haven't gone over certain spelling patterns that we have to introduce. But let me tell you, they take that and they're like, okay, let's go. They love it. <laughs> they, they really, they love it. Yeah. And it reminds me of, you know, you're giving them that agency to go do that on their own because, you know, they te- readers can get so frustrated if they are getting to words and they're like, I don't know what that word is. And they think it's them, yes. <laughs> Some, you know, but if you're like giving them that feeling of like, yep, you're going to get to words you don't know <laughs> and like, be curious about it. Like, how can you figure out what it is? It's a totally different way of attacking a text. And by the way, I've yes. never heard the word spile before. And I just Googled it while you were talking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. And, like, and we talk a lot about earlier, um, you mentioned that a um, prior podcaster said um, that it it is harder with the comprehension in nonfiction texts. We've talked a lot about how in informational texts, you're going to get words and questions that are harder to answer, which is why mm-hmm. now we need to go back into the text and try to find our answers. Because sometimes in a fiction text, it is easier. Like I can ask you, um, why did Sal say she wanted to do it her way? Oh, well, they can make an inference because they kind of feel that um, they feel what the character has felt. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I might say, why do you feel why do you think they needed to make a web from um, the tree to the tank to get the sap out? It's not in there. No idea. You have to figure that out. It's it's to get more sap out or to get to fill it, um, to take the, I guess, man labor away because they would normally have to just dump buckets. So now yeah. they figured out a way to make it easier. So it's just. But yeah, you need the text to know that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That's so great, Erin. I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit. You already mentioned the 
very like high level your role as an interventionist. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we can like dig in a little bit more because now I'm now that I know what your literacy block looks like, yeah. I'm wondering where do you fit into this piece of the puzzle? Where are you modeling for teachers? What kinds of things are you modeling for them? Do you model for both, for all the different <laughs> parts of the block? And when do you work with students and what kinds of things are you working on with students? And what else do you do? Probably yeah. more than that. <laughs> no, that's so um, what we as a group have done is we used our beginning of the year to kind of model and just ensure that the teachers that we're working with felt comfortable doing these groups. Um, because so often like we were trying to learn geodes last year. It was new. We were just trying to figure it out. We just said, Hey, just put them in front of them, read it. Like let's, let's let us learn first and then we'll bring it to you. Um, so once we've done that, we use the beginning part of the year this year to actually go in. So during their small reading group time, I would sit down with their kids at their table while um, the assistant and the teacher sat behind and I had the lesson planned. They were able to follow along with the lesson and I taught it to their kids. I went through a whole geode with each of the three hurdles and that way they could kind of see what that looked like. I was also in there to say, do you have any questions? And so they could kind of popcorn those questions out as I was doing it. Why did you choose this? Well, I knew that this was going to be a struggle because I didn't know what that word meant. So (laughs) I wanted to make sure that they did. Or when they said, well, where did you get that question? Some of them came from the geode manual. Others, I just said, because like that was a question that as I'm reading, I had. So I'm using my tactics as a good reader to kind of create questions. Or um, how did you know that those were words that you could use? Because if you look at the back of the geode, it will say, this is the phonics skill that we're going to work on or the foundation skill we're going to work on. So I'm only choosing words like that. I don't want to choose words they don't know yet. I want to choose for our marking up purposes or just practicing reading. I want them to be able to read the words that the foundation skill is going over. So that way the teachers felt good. And I did that for three weeks at both of the schools I work at. And at one point, one of the teachers was like, this is amazing. Like I <laughs> needed to see this in action multiple times. And so then they would say, okay, I've got this group. Can you come show me this group one more time? I just want to make sure that I, I'm really getting it that way. When I left, I felt they were comfortable. I did not leave them feeling like, oh my gosh, there's one more thing on our plate. Because we all know as educators, It's like, oh gosh, I got to do this and we have to do this. Well, now I've given you the tools you need. I've helped you. I've shown you. And they had almost a, oh, I can do this. Like a a relaxed moment of this is not bad. Like I can do this. Um, So that's how I modeled for them. And you asked about other parts of the literacy block. Last year, I did more of that. Um, I did some wit and wisdom. Uh, I love wit and wisdom. So anybody out there listening, it's amazing. It's my favorite. Um, but we I do a lot too, of, Aaron. More big yeah. fans. <laughs> um, so I did a lot of modeling for teachers who um, maybe were just like, I just I can't get through all the pieces, or 
How do you know when to move on? Or, you know, just that had questions because all of those are very valid and understandably hard things to do when you've got this massive amount of information in front of you. Um, and so, yeah, Aaron, we're going to have to make this like a whole nother episode for back to school. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Cause I think what you're saying not only applies to wit and wisdom, but literally everything, like, I'd love to hear, I'd love to go in depth in the future. Like consider yourself checked for another podcast because (laughs) I really want to know like what goes on in your brain. Like what is the track that you take in order to make those decisions? Cause I know how Melissa and I did it. And I'm just, it's always like you said, fascinating to learn from teachers when you sit together and discuss this. So I'm sorry to pause you, but I just want you to know, like, (laughs) I'm so excited to do this in the future. Yeah, no, that is awesome. And I would totally do it because I do, I love it. And, um, so I would model that. And then, um, we have been trained on foundations. And so sometimes teachers would say, Hey, do you mind to come in and show me a lesson? Um, so we would come in and show a lesson because at some point, everyone kind of puts their own little twist on things. Well, Sometimes, myself included, I would start putting more of my twist than the Wilson twist. And so it became something different. So I would have to kind of refocus and say, okay, no, 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 which also teachers did. And so we would come in and model those things as well. Um, So with that tier one block of instruction, last year was more of the modeling with the wit and wisdom and the foundations. This year, it's more of modeling the, small reading group. Mm -hmm. And so now at the schools that I'm in, they, the teachers know, Hey, can you come and show me this one more time? Or, Hey, can you take this group instead of this group? Cause I want to see if you're struck, like if I've grouped them correctly and things like that. I was just going to ask you that, Erin, do you help the teachers to figure out like what data to look at to form those groups and change those groups when needed? Yes. So we, um, do the, I ready, um, reading diagnostic. And so we will look at that information as well as we do the iReady. Um, they're not called, they're no longer called oral reading fluency. It's uh, a literacy task. So we do <laughs> the oral reading fluencies. And so that we use both of those pieces of data and we kind of say, okay, they, um, this student scored high on the iReady diagnostic and this They are in the 90th percentile for reading fluency. So we know their hurdle is going to be comprehension because they can read the words correctly. They can, um, uh, they can read with, um, phrasing and intonation and all of that. So we're going to make sure that we now have you in a group where you can master the hurdle of let's work on your comprehension skills. Um, if you've got a student that's low in both, now we know your, your, um, hurdle is accuracy. So we kind of created an if then chart. If the student is here and here, this is where they're going to be. If the student is here and here, this is, you know, and then it gave them the room to say, okay, well, I've got a student that's scoring in this particular percentile on both. However, I see something different in class. So I would like to, yes. And so (laughs) it gave them the opportunity to kind of say, oh, okay, cool. I can, I can put them where I think they need to be. And then I'm there. Other teachers are there. We can kind of all go, oh, 
yeah, that was a great decision. Or well, when he was with me, I noticed he did this. So I'm thinking maybe this group might be a little better for him. So um, we we all did those things together. Um, and once we've put all of those together, we will go through and um, they we did that in a PLC. Then I modeled and now they're kind of on their own. So now I am able to take my groups. So I have a small classroom at both schools and I will take students in a group And right now I've got most of my groups are the fluent groups. So their hurdle is I'm working on comprehension. We're working on questioning Um, in six weeks, which I think I've got like three more weeks of that left. I'll then take the automatic group, which then I'll start working on. Let's work on phrasing. Let's work on making sure that we're scooping our words and not reading word by word, but we're reading phrases. Um, And then the last after those six weeks happen, I'll take the accurate group to ensure that I'm getting to see everyone as well as the teacher, because I can't keep all of the kids that are just working on comprehension and the teacher never see them. So we're all, we have all decided we're just going to kind of rotate. So I'll take my group and then I can kind of speak with the teacher and say, you know, I noticed that today she is not really on it. And that's kind of been the same way the last couple times we've been in groups. So this may not be the best group for her. And so then we can kind of have those conversations of where is the best fit for this particular student and their needs, which makes it really nice to be able to kind of have that conversation with teachers as well. Yeah, I was going to say, as a teacher myself, I would love to have someone that actually worked with my students like that. So you could have those conversations instead of just trying to explain, you know, data (laughs) points to somebody else. But exactly. Like, you know, you're like, yep, I heard them read today. I can tell you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Erin, how often do you see those students? Like if I were a teacher at one of your schools, how often would you see my students? So I am at two schools. And so the way our schedule works is two days a week, we're at one school, two days a week, we're at another school. And then one day a week, it's for us to be able to go and do our road show that I was talking about earlier (laughs) to the schools that we're not in. So if I were to pull your kids, I'm going to pull them every time I'm at your school. So if I'm at your school on Monday and Wednesday, during your reading group time, I'm pulling those kids. So that's a group of kids that's going to get a 30 minute reading group with me. And then on Wednesday, get another 30 minute reading group with me. So they've had an hour of a reading group while you're pulling a group with you for 30 minutes. And then your instructional assistant is pulling a group for 30 minutes. Now, if it was all roses and unicorns and sparkles and all that, (laughs) we would know that there would only be three groups. There's not. (laughs) Um, at my schools, we have like four and five different groups because the accurate group may need, they may have 10 kids. You cannot service 10 kids in a group. So we have to split that group into two. Um, so, you know, there's always going to be a group of students who are either on the computer or finishing work or doing an assignment. However, three of the four groups are being met with during that time and they are getting a 30 minute group. So an hour for your fluent kids? What? That's unheard of because I know when I was in the classroom. I know fluency is a quick win too, right? Like that's, yes, yeah. But your accurate group. With lots of practice, regular practice. Yes. Yeah. So your accurate group may meet with you um, three or four days a week. 
with your automatic group and your other accurate group meeting with your assistant, like it just, the way that it works, it's just so much time in a small group that is going to be so beneficial. It's, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. It's not like a, I have to meet with every group every day. We're trying to change our mindset in Blount County that it's, it's okay to not meet with every group every day because you're getting so much more time with the students that need that work. It's, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, and if you're pinpointing the needs of those students during that time, that time is like being used very effectively. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so. And if you're not having the, uh, like, you don't, ha- I think the part of small group time, if I'm remembering one of Shanahan's blog posts, Melissa, are you mm-hmm. with me? One of I'm those bl- recent <laughs> blog posts, because um, Melissa and I like every Saturday have like a little text message <laughs> chat um, when the blog comes out and it's like he reads our minds sometimes. But um, if I remember the part that is in a like quote ineffective in that small group time is not the actual time with the teacher, the no. student's time with the teacher. The part that's ineffective is when you have six kids with the teacher and you've got 28 kids or 25 kids out, I mean, in the classroom at different stations and they're there for long periods of time or going, even if you send them from one to the other to the other, I think what, if I'm remembering the blog accurately, that it was not a guarantee of like a good use of instructional time, but that time with the teacher was. So I think what's resonating for me right now, Erin, is the time that you're talking about, which we're saying is small group instructional time because you're using it as such, Yes, is being maximized. What I'm hearing you say is there's enough adult support to have those small groups really working efficiently and effectively on very specific skills. You're rotating them. It's the groups are fluid. The kids are not being held in those groups. Exactly. They're, yes. they're getting what they need. They're moving up and down as needed and up and down. I mean like the chain that you described yes. of yes. accuracy, automaticity and comprehension. Um, but the kids like quote, out in the classroom are not being held there for long periods of time. And if they are doing something, it's, it's a, it's a very specific task, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we also have had to change our shift in thinking of what, um, our assistants are doing during this time. Mm -hmm. And so one of the schools that I work in, they've really changed it and it's amazing. So in their, grades, they have two assistants. There are only three teachers at this particular school in the grade levels, but they have two assistants. They are having their assistants travel to each classroom during their reading block or their reading group time. And so three groups are being met with. And on the days I'm there, four, there is not one student that is not with a teacher. So the, the idea of using all hands to be in front of a student is amazing. And so we're, like I said, we're, we're trying to shift our minds around that, like not them walking around the room, making sure everybody's doing things, mm-hmm. but go ahead, let's pull a group, which is also why on our road shows, we are training um, the instructional assistants as well. We are showing them what this looks like. We are giving them the tools they need. We're telling the teachers, find that time that you have that assistant and let that be your reading group time. So that way you've got more hands on deck to be with students in that small group, which would go back to what you were saying, Lori, about um, 
maximizing the instruction time. So then there are less kids out there doing things that maybe aren't as beneficial, like, you know, and then the next day they're going to be in a group. So it's kind of like they're, they're all going to get their opportunity, but just using as many people as you can. I am so glad you brought this up because one, my mom is an instructional paraprofessional and I would trust her to teach my child to read. Yes. She's, of course, but she she knows what she's doing is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Uh, You know, when I talk to her, like, I'm like, she's trained. She knows what she's doing. And I just saw, I think it was yesterday or maybe even this morning on a Facebook group, someone wrote, like, how can I tell my principal that my instructional para should not be working with small groups of students? And every comment was like, they should be. You should be using them to do this. And if they're not trained to do it, you should get them trained so that they can. <laughs> and I will say that, like, I know the listeners can't see this, but my eyes got really big because <laughs> I I can't imagine having an extra body in a classroom not working with students. I understand that it's very important that, you know, copies are being made. Like, I get that and kind of crowd control because uh, the COVID 2021, I had 26 first graders in a classroom and I was like, what is happening right now? (laughs) But I will say that usually the assistants are the ones that are craving the knowledge and they want to learn. And so when we go and we train them, they're like, this is amazing. We've never been trained. Normally the teachers are just handing us things, but now we feel like we're armed and we can do this because we've been shown how, because I will say it as a teacher, I didn't have time. I didn't have time to sit down and show my instructional assistant, Hey, I need you to do it this way. Can you do it this way? Watch me do this and let me show you how I would like you to run a reading group. So then you would know. Sometimes I would hand her things and she would look at me like, what do you want me to do with this? (laughs) Teach them. And I just, you forget because you, you have so much going on. So this is a great thing for us as, as learning loss interventionists, we are able to take that off the teacher's plates, but then the assistants feel valued. They feel like, okay, I can go do that. And then let me tell you, sometimes those assistants are running a better group than I am because they are like, they, (laughs) they, they want it and they take it seriously. And it's like, wow, it, it, they just needed that. They needed a little bit of help and training. Yeah. Yeah. This is really like maximizing resources, right? We're maximizing not only the, the resources that your school has decided to use, which are like high quality materials, which is yes. super exciting, but also the resources of, I think the most valuable resources, right? Our people yes. Yes. and our time and our time. Yes. Like those yes. are the two things that I think if you asked any school organization, anything, anywhere, those are the two things that we can't get enough of. And I yes. think I love the idea of just having everyone in front of students. You mentioned crowd control earlier, and I just thought, well, what better crowd control than having yep. <laughs> like teaching a, a lesson? Group, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. because they're focused and it's on things that it's on their hurdle. So right. it's not like I have a student who is struggling to read the words with some students who are um, in a uh, that are ready to a- answer comprehension questions. They're working on their ability level, which I think they need that. They need that specific instruction. So therefore they're zoned in, they're focused. Okay. I can do this. They don't 
you know, the students don't lose, okay, I can't do this. I'm just quitting and I'm going to disrupt the, the group now. Um, but it's, it's, it, I will say that, like you said, most of the teachers will say, I don't have enough time. Well, let's maximize what time we do have and let's use the other resources, not materials people. Let's, let's use hands to make sure that everybody is on the same page. I think we just need to let that sit for a moment. That's <laughs> so, so good. Thank you so much for bringing this, not only to have this conversation with us, but just like attention to this. And thank you for just your energetic approach to thinking differently about the use of this time and how we can maximize it. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything that you want anyone listening to know that we haven't covered today. I don't think there's anything that we haven't covered that I want them to know. I just, I feel that these kids need us now more than ever, especially since the pandemic has happened and giving them the opportunity to solidify skills that they, that are just not solid yet. They, they're there. They have them. They just aren't as solid as they should be touching on those and making sure that they solidify those before moving on will help them get over each of those hurdles easier. And they're not going to be upset when they hit that first hurdle and fall down and skin a knee and I can't do it. And then they want to quit. Nope. We're going to teach you to get over that hurdle. So that way you can make it over two and then you can make it over three. And then we have a lifelong reader. They're not going to want to not read. They're going to want it. I love the visual of getting them over the hurdles. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Really I actually, I, <laughs> I took notes and I put it in there as, as hurdles because I think it's just a brilliant way to explain it. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. Well, are you ready to answer some fun questions, Erin? Yes. Not, not that they all questions. haven't been fun. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a Pers- few questions for you. Personal questions. Yeah, that are just <laughs> okay. quick get to know you kind of questions. Whatever comes to mind, don't be embarrassed by any answers. All right. What do you love to watch? Um, you know, when you if I say this out loud, my friends will be like, you don't even watch TV because I don't. I feel like I have so many things. And then if I sit down and I have to watch something. But um, Big Bang Theory is my like I can watch rerun after rerun <laughs> after rerun of it. Also, friends, because mm-hmm. I grew up on that. And so oh, yeah. those are my two, <laughs> those are my two go-tos. If I sit down and watch something, it'll keep my attention. You know, what's funny is I feel like when I watch the the friends or friends episodes now, I'm like, Oh, I didn't realize how, like I literally knew, caught none of the inappropriateness when I watched <laughs> I it the first time around. Every time. None. Every time. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, Oh, I didn't get that at all. Yeah. <laughs> It's really fun watching it again. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. What do you love to listen to? Um, I need no judgment, but Christmas music. Girls, it has Uh, been on since August and I'm obsessed. Uh And I already told my husband, I was like, can we put the Christmas decorations up? He goes, no, please. I mean, why not? Home Depot has. You know what? You go ahead on your front step. Everybody has. Yeah. 
So I told him, I said, okay, well, usually it's November 1st. Like I will take the day off and I will <laughs> set my house up. Um, but right now it's Christmas music and we are doing it the weekend before Halloween. I already told my husband, I don't care what you say. We are doing it because Halloween's on a Monday. So I am going to make myself happy. We are going to set him up. I love this. Everybody will be knocking on your door saying trick or treat. You'll be like, yes. no, it's Jingle uh-huh. Bells. No, nope. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I will pass out candy canes and other things that have to do with Christmas. It'll be great. Yeah. You should like dress up as Mrs. Claus for Halloween. Yeah. I love it. Just there do was it. a kid last year in our neighborhood dressed up as Santa. And I was like, <gasps> my spirit child. Yes. <laughs> I love this. All right. Final question. Why do you do what you love for education or for literacy? Um, To see these kids grow in a way that I think they wouldn't have grown if not given the opportunity. Finding what it is they need, helping them learn what they need, and then seeing them succeed at the end is amazing. And especially with littles, I know it's a lot harder for listeners that teach older kids. Cause I did, I taught third grade and the, the instant gratification isn't there, but these littles, like you can see it. And when you mm-hmm. see it and they see it, it is like, <gasps> it's amazing. <laughs> like they feel it, you feel it. And then you just go home feeling all like mm-hmm. energized because you, you helped them do that. And so I think that's it. Like just seeing their excitement when they get it. It's, that's what gets me. And you've set them up for success for the rest of their lives, really. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. To make them a lifelong reader, which is Mm -hmm. essentially what we all are just to make them enjoy reading. Yeah. Erin, one of our listeners favorite things is when they can uh, see and hear examples of what you're talking about. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to link your small group instructional video that you posted on YouTube in the show notes. So anyone listening can uh, watch you teach a small group lesson where you're doing the things that we talked about today. I think that's brilliant. We'll also blast it on social. I think it's really important that it gets out there. I mean, that video led us to you and uh, (laughs) you have been just an incredible teacher voice in this space. So thank you for, for a letting us share that, but for, for being here. (laughs) No, I've had so much fun. This is great. And thank you for doing everything that you're doing in Tennessee. Hey, listen, they're so lucky to have you. As long as these kids keep learning, (laughs) let's do it. Thanks for listening. Literacy lovers to stay connected with us, sign up for our email list at literacypodcast.com. And to keep learning together, join the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast Facebook group and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If this episode resonated with you, take a moment to share with a teacher friend or leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just a quick reminder that the views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast are not necessarily the opinions of Great Minds PBC or its employees. We appreciate you so much, and we're so glad you're here to learn with us.